Who's been enjoying the series of Mark? Mark, we're going through Mark, the, the key, the, it was parables, and now we're in the king's domain. And um, we're kind of moving beyond some of the parables that we've been teaching, which have been incredible. And uh, last week we heard from Pastor Keith, where we heard one of like the, the key stories that we kind of, if you've been in church for a long time, we know that's like a pinnacle story. You know, Jesus calms the storm. It's like, it's one of the good ones. It's a banger, you know, in Scripture. And um, if you can say that about Scripture. But, um, but we all know that story. We love it. It's so good. And uh, this week, we're moving, the, the, the story kind of continues. It's not, a, it's not a broken story. Mark um, is, is writing a complete story here, and we're moving into the next phase of what is actually happening uh, straight after what had happened on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and the disciples. And so we're going to be in, but we're in a new chapter, but don't let that deceive you. Like I said, we're still continuing the story, but cha- Mark chapter 5 today. So let's turn to Mark chapter 5. Fresh chapter. Woo! 5. Give me a yellow 5's your favorite number. Is 5 anyone's favorite number? It's a weird one to be your favorite, but unless it's your birthday, hey? Mark chapter 5 in the NIV. We're going to follow along on the screen this morning, so that's all good. But this morning, you would have noticed that the today's scripture uh, is titled in my Bible anyway, Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. Woo! It's a spicy one this morning. Uh, Jesus, I mean, we've gone from the one that we all know, the banger, that Jesus in the boat with the disciples and the storm, to one maybe we've not really read that much before. I don't know. Like, um, I haven't heard too many messages on this one, so we're going to have fun this morning. Thanks, Pastor Nate. Um, that's great. Oh, it's, it's my new favorite story, actually, yeah. No, it's good. we're going to have a good time. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this whole, not the whole chapter, we're going to finish in verse 20, but I'm going to read through the whole thing first, so we get a full sense of the story and what is happening. Is that cool? What I could do is I could give everyone a word, you know, and we can go around the whole auditorium. Has anyone done that in like a table space or connect group? Not the whole word, but like a sentence, and you go around and you, it's kind of fun, I don't mind it, but it's not going to work here this morning, no. All right, are we ready? Are we ready? Okay. So we've got to remember the, the disciples, uh, they're heading across the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we start off. It says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Things just got real. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. Poor pigs. The demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. 
Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. They were freaking out. And, when the Jesus, and then when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Whoo, what a story. Wow. You could make a movie about that. Did we follow along? I know it was a big, long one. Is everyone okay? We're all good? Okay, all right, cool, we're back. What a story. Who's familiar with this story? This one, um, yeah, a few people. It's a really interesting story. And uh, I'm going to kind of, as we move through the story this morning, I'm going to kind of move portion by portion through the story. And we're going to kind of bring out of, out of the story, I want us to see aspects of Jesus. I want us to see, I want us to, to know Jesus more to desire Him more, to understand Him more. I want us to, to read this story and know how much of a boss Jesus is. And I want us to see the kingdom expanding in this story. And there's going to be moments where we can reflect and see ourselves in this story. Maybe not the demon-possessed man. I'm not saying that you're the demon-possessed man. But, um, but we're going to kind of go line for line. Are we ready? All right, we're going to start from the very first line. Now, it's not going to be like this the whole time, trust me. But it says, we're going to remember, Jesus, it says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So just a quick rewind, Jesus was preaching kind of off the shore a little bit in Capernaum, and he's preaching to the disciples. It was the disciples, the disciples there, he's preaching to the crowds. And he had to be off the shore a little bit because they were pressing in, and they wanted his autograph and all this kind of stuff, and they wanted him to heal them and stuff like that. So to kind of get a bit of space and to preach, and it was natural amphitheater, he's preaching kind of just pushed off the shore. And by the end of that uh, moment in Scripture, after he's talking about the parable, uh, teaching with parables, he says to his disciples, it was about evening time, he says, let us push off because we're going to go across to the other side of the lake. All right, so here we go. I want to give us a bit of context. I love context and kind of being able to place myself in a story. So this morning, I've got some slides for you. Is that okay? All right, we've got the first slide coming up this morning. Bit of geography. Oh, come on, geography. Uh, geography wasn't my strong suit back in high school. Sorry, Mrs. Vine, I got kicked out of that class. Um, too disruptive. Um, we've made amends now. I've apologized as an adult and she said it was okay. But so anyway, here we are. We're in this part of the world. We've got Egypt, Jordan, Israel. We're in the Middle East, Mediterranean Sea. And I just kind of want to give us like where we are. We've got Jerusalem, the Dead Sea. And up here, we've got the Sea of Galilee. This is where we are. This is where our story takes place. So next slide. If we go to the Sea of Galilee, here we go. It's the Sea of Galilee. So I don't know if you've ever Googled the Sea of Galilee, but that's the Sea of Galilee. And um, it's a as you, know, as you can see, it's not a sea. 
Some people might be like, whoa, it's not a sea. That's well, I thought. No, it's a lake. It's a huge lake, and it's quite a broad body of water. And I like to kind of get an idea of like, how big is this lake in comparison to what I know? So I've got another slide here for you guys, which is a scale comparison to give us an understanding of maybe how big the Sea of Galilee is. So we've got Sea of Galilee, and we've got Lake Macquarie. And uh, so we're about as long as Lake Macquarie, but much wider, much more like expanse and and broad, and so it's a, it would feel huge. It would feel pretty big. Some people have been to the Sea of Galilee. I know Cal Gron, he was telling me, Cal Gron was telling me that the, the storms that happen on the Sea of Galilee is because it's so exposed. And that around the Sea of Galilee, we've got some massive hills and mountains, and the cold air rushes in onto the water, and a storm happens. I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know how that happens, but that's how it happens. You know, the cold air comes down, yeah. And I think Matt Schultz has been, been here too. He was showing me some cool photos. Anyway, that gives you an idea of the size of the Sea of Galilee. Next slide. So we've got the Sea of Galilee, and we have Galilee, the region itself. Beyond there, we've got the Mediterranean Sea, right? So here's Galilee uh, in the pink. And Jesus was preaching to the disciples in Capernaum. Next slide. Just here. So this is kind of where Jesus was. Uh, preaching to the crowd with his disciples, pushed off the shore a little bit. And this is where he says, we're going to push it. We're going to go across to the other side. And then we see... Next slide. They hit the storm, like my little boat, my little clipper, yep, and storm. How good is that? Look, I just, I love this stuff. I, I've probably got carried away too much, to be honest. But they head off across to the other side of the lake, and they're kind of going in this direction, and they land around here, the Garrisons. This is, Mark calls it the Garrisons. There's kind of a bunch of different names in the area it could be. So this is an approximate location, all right, approximate, Okay. And so across here, next slide, this is about 10 kilometers. This trip from Capernaum across to the Gerasenes, so where the demoniac man was, it's probably about 10 kilometers. They say two hours. I reckon with the storm in the middle of the night, probably a bit longer, like two hours. These guys must have had some strong biceps because I they didn't row, did they? No, they, had, they used the wind. Sorry. I'm, I'm picturing like <laughs> they're rowing across the lake. No, bad theology. All right. So this area across the lake, next slide, is actually in a, in a region called the Decapolis, which is, is, Roman is pagan territory. It's part of the Roman Empire. It actually means 10 cities. So they're out of Galilee. They're away from Jewish kind of zone, Jewish territory. And this is where, you know, when, they talk, when, people t when the Scriptures talk about the Gentiles, or pagans, they're, non, they're people from non-Jewish background, and they're some, from some areas like this. So these are where pagans and Gentiles are, and you're wondering, what's pagan, what's Gentile? It just means not Jew. So kind of like muggle, you know, I learned these terms recently, you know, like a muggle, they're muggles over here, right? So in the Decapolis, and um, what I love about Jesus is that he, he defies the status quo. Wherever Jesus goes, he changes things up. He goes, we're going across, he says to the disciples, boys, we're going across the lake. They're like, what? It's middle of the night. It's evening. He says, we're going across to the other side. What? Pagan territory? We're going over there. We're not meant to go over there. What are we meant to do over there? We've got nothing. We're ministering to the Jews. They're the people of God. These, these people are not the people of God. What are you doing? And he's like, no, we're going across. And so they head across and they have the storm, you know, but they're continuing across. We think that the storm is like, Jesus went for a joyride in the, in, the, in the boat with the disciples to test him out. But no, he was on the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Next, next uh, little thing. So this area, to give us a little image of like maybe what the disciples were looking at as they were heading across the lake. 
or the Sea of Galilee, it would have looked like this. So next slide. This is what it looks like over there. So this is where Jesus and the disciples were heading in the boat to, uh, to where the demon-possessed man was. And so they're heading across the lake to this zone, and you can imagine the pigs running down the hill and stuff like that. But I just want us to kind of get into the story a little bit more. I hope that was helpful. They went across to the lake of the region of the Gerasenes. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, in Matthew, it actually says there was two guys. I'm not sure why. I didn't go into that. But one guy came across. And you can imagine, put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They're like, why? We just nearly died in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now we're pulling up to pagan territory. And a dude comes running down the beach, like naked, screaming, crazy. They're like, we've got to get in formation, protect Jesus. They're probably freaking out. They're already on edge. They're tired. Adrenaline's pumping after the storm. They're freaking out. What is going on? What is Jesus? What's our teacher, our rabbi? Why has he got us here? And so when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. It says, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. And broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. In Matthew, it actually says that people couldn't go through that area for fear of being killed. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I don't know about you, but I think of Gollum. I think of Gollum straight away uh, from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, like, I think of Gollum, you know, someone who has been bound by evil who has been bound and tormented and stripped of their humanity. And here, Mark is describing this man as kind of not even human. The description Mark gives us is this man has been stripped of his humanity. This man doesn't even have a name. This man is described as someone who is tortured. But the interesting thing is Mark is describing this man who is full of evil spirits as someone who is powerful and who was strong. And this is going to make sense in a second. But what I want to pull out of this moment is that there are evil forces at work. We can't remain complacent or ignorant of the fact that Satan is real, and his entourage is real, and he is working to destroy. He's working to destroy God's good creation humanity and the world, and he's working to thwart the good plan of God. And this is what I believe Mark is trying to show here, that there is evil forces at work, and they have, evil exists here. Evil exists and is bent on destruction. Satan and his minions only want to destroy everything they touch degrades. He wants to strip people of self-control. He wants to alienate people from a true and loving community. This man was living in the tombs. He was living by himself. He wants to eradicate and strip you of God's good created, God-given image and identity as a man or a woman, as a child of God. He wants to completely destroy. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle, and this is not on the screen, sorry. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I kind of think in the Western world, we, we downplay like spiritual stuff a lot. I don't know if you agree. I, I feel like we kind of put it to the side. We're interested. We'll watch TV shows about it and stuff like that. But as far as it's, we kind of forget sometimes, and I put myself in this boat, that there is a real enemy at work. There is a real enemy at work trying to destroy what God's good plan is for your life. He's out to destroy your identity in Christ. He's out to arise conflict in your relationships. He's out to disconnect you from community. He wants to destroy your family and your marriage. He wants to cripple you with anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. He wants to keep you stuck in offense and bitterness. We cannot play these things off as merely just physical things or merely just happenstance or merely just circumstances. We have to be aware and sober-minded. 1 Peter 5 actually says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, I'm not saying, we all know people like this, right? Looking for demons under every rock, you know, like, it's a demon. Like last night I was cooking, um, I started the barbecue, right? This has only happened once to me before. Start a new gas bottle. Put the gas bottle on. Yep. Oh, I think that's all right. Test and make sure. And I hear this hissing sound. I'm like, what's going on there? Right? And I'm like, so I, put my, I look down into the barbecue. I'm like, where's that coming from? Oh, I don't know. It's just probably the gas bottle doing something. And then I turn it on and boom, fireball. A fireball straight out of the barbecue. And I was like, it's a demon. There's a demon in my barbecue. No. There wasn't a demon in my barbecue, all right? Uh, the, dev- the devil wasn't after me. He wasn't hiding in my barbecue all week, jumping out. But, you know, sometimes we, we can get a bit too super spiritual in these things. No, if your car broke down because the petrol was wrong, uh, you just made a mistake. It wasn't the devil out to get you, maybe. I don't know. But he'll use any circumstance, I'm telling you that. But I think we should be more sober-minded and aware. I remember this one time in our marriage when we were first married. Sorry, I didn't tell you I was going to tell this story. It's not that bad. It's not throwing anyone under the bus. It's not, that's fine. Uh, when we were first married, um, it might have been in the first year or something, and we were probably just having some normal arguments or something, some tensions in our marriage, as, like, you know, as normal marriage people do. Um, but Jess headed off to work, and I had this sense. I was like, this isn't just a normal argument. Like, I just felt like the enemy's trying to disrupt something here. And so Jess went off to work. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> I, I was working. I was going to uni or something. I wasn't lounging around the house. <laughs> yeah, I'm the problem here, right? <laughs> but I remember, I was like, no, no, no. This isn't just a normal thing. The enemy does not want us to start our marriage well. And I started to pray. I was like, you know, God has has encharged me with the, the stewardship of leading my family. So I'm going to lead them spiritually, and I'm going to go, no, this isn't just happenstance. The enemy wants to destroy the things in our life. He wants to destroy marriages. So I went to prayer, and I went to warfare prayer against the things in the enemy. So what is it this morning? Maybe you have some things in mind that you have just put down to circumstance, science, medical whatever, and I think that is all true, important, and good, but we can't mistake the fact that the enemy, that Satan and his entourage has his fingers and his fingerprints and his hands on a lot of these areas in order to destroy God's good creation. I better hurry up, sorry. All right, moving on. And I want to say this, understanding isn't to make us fearful. 
I'm not sharing this to make us fearful. It's to make us watchful or aware. But I love this next passage because Mark, as an author, is intentionally contrasting this next moment with the last moment. The first, that first moment we just shared, Mark is setting up the power of this, this man bound by evil forces. This next moment, let's listen. He says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So Mark intentionally contrasts the fact that, hey, here's a little bit about the power and the fear of this demon, but look at it in the face of Jesus. I could imagine this demon, this demon-possessed man, on the other side of the garrisons, on the other side of the lake, a storm is brewing. Jesus calms the storm, and he's like on the edge of the cliff, and he's like, oh my goodness, it's the Son of God. The son, oh, he's here. And he starts to freak out. Jesus is coming across the lake. He's coming in my direction. And he starts to freak out. And it says, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of God, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Interesting fact, Jesus hadn't disclosed that he was the son of God up until this point in the story. So the demons, the evil forces of Satan, they know who Jesus is. They know his authority and they know his power. We get this picture in contrast of, 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 of these evil forces cowering in fear at the feet of Jesus. It says, for Jesus says, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? That's an interesting thing to ask. He says, my name is Legion, he replied. Interesting fact, a, a legion, a Roman legion, an army of a legion, is what they called like some of the armies back in those days, legion, uh, was made up of about 6,000 men. Now, they don't know if this truly translates to what that meant, um, but the demon replies, for we are many. So he's obviously trying to intimidate Jesus at this moment. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. I love this picture. Mark has this contrast of this kind of fearful, demonic, evil force. It's trying to one last intimidation at Jesus. He's like, we're legion, we're many. And what I think of when I think of the enemy in this moment, or the enemy described in this moment, have anyone seen those Instagram reels of frill neck lizards? I think of a frill neck lizard. I'm sorry, but I think of, have you seen how a frill neck lizard, they're like this small, but when they're intimidated, they throw their like, they try and intimidate their predator with their big frills and they start coming running. I mean, if a frill neck lizard was running at me, I'd be a little bit scared, but honestly, I could just like kind of boot it, right? <laughs> this is the image. This is a close, oh, this is my mind. I'm sorry. This is the closest thing I could think of. This is what Mark is trying to show us, that these evil forces in the face of Jesus is trying to do it. It's akin to like a frill neck lizard just trying to intimidate. He's small, powerless, can be easily defeated, but he's trying to intimidate Jesus for a moment. And I wonder if some of the, some of the working in our life, some of the things that the enemy is trying to throw at us, he's just trying to throw at us as little intimidations. But when Jesus comes, when Jesus walks onto the shore of your life or into the shore of your world, the enemy starts to get afraid. Mark is trying to show us the ultimate authority and power of Jesus. The God-man, fully God, fully human, 
come to earth. Colossians 1.15 describes the supremacy of the Son of God. It says the Son of God, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. How does this apply to our life? We're like, wow, Jesus. Jesus is incredible. Don't be mistaken by the kind of, you know, pale Jesus, the Catholic painting version Jesus. That's all. We, I grew up in a Catholic household with the, with the Catholic pale kind of, no, Jesus, Jesus was boss. Wherever he went, the enemy didn't stand a chance. Wherever he walks, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. It says, A large herd of pigs were feeding in the nearby hills. We get to the pig moment. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Pigs were unclean in Jewish. This is how we know this is a pagan area. Because pigs were unclean. No Jewish farmer or herd person would have pigs, let alone 2,000 of them. Pigs were unclean. He says, send us among the pigs, allow us to go in them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank in the lake where they were drowned. I, I Googled a picture of 2,000 pigs just to kind of give us an idea. No, there's no pictures of 2,000 pigs. Um, <laughs> Should have used AI, you know, like, you know, image generation, 2,000 pigs, you know. Some theologians believe this story from Mark would have been politically charged, as the pigs could have represented the Roman Empire and Jesus liberating his people. We've got to remember that the audience were Jewish. So this was like an action story to the Jewish people. They're like, Jesus is like, what, in pagan territory with pigs and stuff? Man, this is crazy. But pigs could have been a representation of the end of the age when Jesus throws Satan and his entourage into the lake of fire, where he finalizes the work. This could have been a foreshadowing of the ultimate authority and power that Mark is trying to give us a glimpse of Jesus here, a foreshadowing where all this multitude of evil forces is nothing compared to the power of Jesus. They're just going to rush off the side of the hill into the lake. I don't think Jesus hated pigs. Uh, Why pigs? Because they're unclean. But it represents the fact that the enemy only wants to bring destruction. It says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported in their town. They're freaking out. Like People watching this are like, what is going on? Who's this Jewish guy? Why did he pull up on our shore? He's like, he spoke to this man who's like, shouldn't be spoken to. And he just kind of made our pigs run off a, off a hill. There goes our, our wage. <laughs> and uh, they freaked out and reported it to the people in the town that what had happened. And when Jesus, when they came to Jesus, he saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. 
sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. It's a beautiful, Mark beautifully describes these contrasts through this chapter where we see the power of the demon. We see the the might of the demon who has tortured this man. And then we see it come in contact with the ultimate authority and power of Jesus. And the result is a man who is fully redeemed. A man who is fully set free. The salvation of God had come upon him in such a way that he was sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. This describes the full redemptive work of Jesus. The man is completely transformed. When we come face to face with Jesus, we are transformed. Things in our life are transformed. Everywhere Jesus goes, things transform. Things are redeemed. Things are brought back to life. Evil, the, the region of the evil forces are pushed back. And the kingdom begins to extend and expand in our life, in the world around us. Wherever He goes, He brings liberation. He brings redemption. See, His purpose and His power is love. He so loves the world. This whole story could represent Jesus coming out of heaven. Jesus comes from Jewish territory. He goes across the lake to pagan territory. Jesus comes from heaven. He comes to earth. He goes from somewhere that was great and he goes to somewhere he shouldn't go and he comes and he comes across the side of the lake to redeem this obscure demon-possessed man that no one was probably even thinking about but he came for the one he came for the one he came to redeem the one and it represents the fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth to redeem humanity back to its he's the full the goodness of how God has designed it His purpose is driven by love. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Those who had seen it, this is really interesting. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. So the people that had watched this thing, the pagan people, they're freaking out. They're off. They're telling everyone about the pigs and stuff. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It's really interesting. It's a really bizarre moment to end up in, in this passage. Like, what's Mark trying to do here? So these people that witnessed the miracles and power of Jesus, the full redemptive work, they're like, this this guy is incredible. This man is transformed. They witnessed the whole thing. But they're like, we can't handle it. We need you to go, Jesus. You You have to go. We don't know what this is. This is too uncertain. And Mark is hoping that the the readers are kind of seeing ourselves a little bit in this moment. The Jewish audience, us, whoever's reading, that we might see ourselves in these farmers that are a little bit freaked out about what Jesus is doing. And what I mean by that is sometimes we don't want to throw our whole heart 
into the ring with Jesus because we know when Jesus enters the room or enters the room of our heart that He is going to transform it. And we're a little bit standoff because we know if I go all, if I if I come that close to Jesus, my stuff's going to change. And I think these people were thinking the same thing. They're like, stuff's going to change too much. They're like, I I prefer it the way it is. Thank you. I prefer the way the town is. I prefer my pigs. I prefer my livelihood. I prefer all the comforts and things that I have. I prefer the things. I prefer all these things, actually. I don't want you to come too close because you might muck all that stuff up. Because when Jesus pulls his boat up to the shore, when Jesus pulls his boat up to our life, things are inevitably going to change. Can we see ourselves in this moment? As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This is incredible. Jesus was telling everyone that he healed not to tell anyone. He's like, no, no, don't tell anyone. What do they do? They go tell people. He's like, no, no, I know I healed you. Don't tell anyone. This guy, is, he's like, go, buddy. <laughs> Get out of here. Go tell everyone. Go on. Off you go. You know, you can't come with us. I'm sorry. You've got to go tell everyone. And what's really fascinating about this moment is that this man may have been the first person to start to see the gospel to the Gentiles. Isn't this incredible? This whole story is foreshadowing the complete work of Jesus. It's not just a story in the moment. It's foreshadowing the fact that the gospel is going to a non-Jewish people group. The fact that Jesus went to a pagan man in the first place and set him free in pagan territory and then set this man loose into the Decapolis to preach the good news of Jesus to to non-Jewish people. Jesus, the boss that he is, he's like, "I, I can't do this. I can't let the Jewish people know that I'm doing this. But I'm going to go over and I'm going to start. I'm going to start what Paul's going to continue on. I'm going to, I'm going to seed the gospel into this place because God can't help but extend the kingdom, bring liberation, extend his power and authority and his love for people, his reach for people, his reach for you and I. Jesus isn't afraid. He's not outnumbered. He has full and complete authority. 